In 2018, the body of 25-year-old Jennifer Kirk on an ex-mayor's property in Alaska, with police swiftly closing the case, declaring her death a suicide. Her family believes otherwise, as Jennifer had allegedly been involved in a tumultuous relationship with the ex-mayor's son. This is a story of Jennifer Kirk. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Okay, so guys, it is the flu season, and three out of three of us are sick. We're trying to get over being sick or still in the midst of sickness. I'm like on the tail end, thank goodness. I've been sick for like almost three weeks. I've been sick for two weeks. It's, and it's just the lingering, like the congestion and the sinus um, pressure and the cough. Listen, I went to the doctor two separate times and made them test me for everything, including mono. <laughs> and everything was negative. I was like, maybe I'm just a baby. I don't know. But Jeez, Maggie, I bet it's the common cold that's taking you out. I was sneezing my ass off one day. Like I could, like it was like every five minutes. It was crazy. Anyway, I'm feeling a little bit better. Well, that's good. So if you're listening and we sound a little muffled or stopped up, just bear with us. Okay, so today I have a pretty crazy story for you. Um, And you guys are going to be so mad. But we are going to split this story up into two different episodes because it does cover the story of two different women, but takes place in the same house. What? Okay. You know what? I think this is our first ever two-parter i think so too and i think it'll be a good one i feel like every episode makes us mad yeah that's true it does but this one oh it'll this one is gonna burn you guys up so my story today was actually brought to our attention by a listener and honestly i'm really surprised that i had never seen or heard anything regarding this story because it's nuts this story takes place in alaska in an area known as the arctic northwest The area is widely known for the Northwest Passage, which is a water route through the islands of northern Canada that connects the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. I feel like that's something I should have learned in high school, but I didn't know anything about this. Do you guys know what this is? Oh, you're going to make me admit I have no idea what this is. No. But apparently it's like a pretty significant historical landmark. Well, that's embarrassing. I don't know what it is. So much like many other indigenous lands, this land was discovered by European explorers who were searching for a shorter shipping route between Europe and Asia. Something to note is that many of the explorers were were unable to find this passage due to the treacherous sea conditions and sea ice cover, which just tells me how resilient the indigenous people that inhabit this land are. So the tribes that inhabit this land are primarily the Inuit and Inupiaq and Alouette. The Inupiaq, which is noted as which is noted to translate to the real people, have been in northwest Alaska for about 4,000 years. The city this particular story took place in is called Kotzebue, Alaska, and it is the story of a 33-year-old Inupiaq woman named Suzanne Susu Norton and a 25-year-old Inupiaq woman named Jennifer Kirk. We've covered a story from there before. Yep, so if you recall, this is the same town that Ashley Johnson Barr went missing in. Oh, that's right. Although it is unrelated to this case, Clement Richards Sr. was the active mayor of the Northwest Arctic Borough when she went missing and when she was ultimately found murdered in 2018. So that name's going to be really important in just a few minutes. So yeah, if you guys recall, you know, this is a very desolate and rural area in Alaska 
where it's like a small town of right at like a 3,000 people. Yeah, that's tiny. And if you guys remember when we covered the Ashley Johnson bar case, we talked about like how close the homes were all together. That's right. She was on a playground and that was where she was last seen. And then I think they found her body on the tundra a few miles from the playground, which is really sad because she was only 10 years old. Oh, yeah, because we were we kept questioning why there was a bunch of kids that were just kind of at the playground by themselves. But the way these houses in this town are set up is like all the houses are in one area, pretty much. And everyone lives there because, you know, you can't live out in the rural areas because you wouldn't have access to anything. Oh, yeah, they're all kind of just grouped in together yes all the if you look up the houses and we can include in a picture a picture of like the city in the show notes it's pretty much like the city is a congested area with a bunch of houses all together like feet from each other like a village pretty much yeah and some of the homes don't even have like power or running water so it is a village ultimately so i found this story um and primarily the information that i got was from the alaskan daily news and they did a really great job of documenting and reporting on this case, as well as other concerning cases in the area. The article written on the death of Suzanne Norton is titled, One Woman Died on an Alaskan Mayor's Property, Then Another. No One Has Ever Been Charged. Oh my God. So one woman died on an Alaskan Mayor's Property. Then Another. No one has ever been charged. Okay. Did they even look into it? A little bit. I think this is the part Osh Maggie mentioned that we're going to start getting mad. This whole story is going to piss you off. Carry on. Let us hear it. Suzanne Norton's body was found in sub-zero temperatures on an early morning in March 2020 in an adjacent house on the property of former Alaskan Mayor Clement Richards Sr. Richards was elected to the city council in 1999, holding positions as vice mayor and then mayor until 2018. There are reports that Clement Richards Sr. had a history of domestic violence citing a previous conviction of DV against his wife in 1989 while she was eight months pregnant with their youngest child. Oh, my God. The former mayor was convicted of felony domestic violence and served a six-month jail sentence. Just 10 years later, he was elected as a public official in the town of Kotzube. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. I don't know how an elected official could have served a jail time and that not be a red flag. Or pass a background check. Aren't those things necessary if you're going to run for public office but apparently none of his opponents maybe no one knew about it or no one was willing to like come forth about it but none of his opponents brought it out when he ran for election so he was still elected despite the fact he shouldn't be able to run but mm -hmm. apparently he can even more concerning than this fact is that his two sons anthony and amos had a long track record of abuse allegations from numerous women including the two women found dead on the former mayor's property Okay, we can see where this is going. Yeah, already it just sounds suspicious. In 2018, just two years before Susanna's death, Jennifer Kirk was found dead in a bedroom on the Richard property with apparent strangulation marks on her neck and a gunshot wound to her head just beneath her chin. Her death was quickly ruled a suicide despite the concerning circumstances. Wait, even with strangulation marks? Yep. What? Don't worry, I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain that. Before her death, it was reported that Anthony Richards admitted to strangling Jennifer Kirk twice in the past. I went down a rabbit hole while researching Jennifer's case, and it made my story really long, but this case is really important. And I found that there are multiple documents that we can link to the show notes, but the one thing I found concerning is that in a supplemental investigation document from the police officers on scene, there were conflicting reports on the state of her body when they arrived including one report to say that rigor mortis had possibly set in and her body was only warm. 
which could indicate that she had not just passed. So for reference, like we talked about, all these houses are really close together. And this particular house was only about 400 yards from the police department and city council. Wow. Contradictory to the statements given by Anthony Richards that he was sitting in the living room with his children when he heard a loud gunshot and found Jennifer in the bedroom with self-inflicted gunshot wounds and immediately called 911. Based off reports, it seemed that Jennifer struggled with some sort of substance abuse. And the night of her death, it was suggested that she may have been intoxicated. Intoxicated? Um, I do think that that actually came from information from a family member that said they talked to her earlier in the night and she seemed intoxicated. So it sounds like whatever, I think that she suffered from alcoholism, but I, I'm not certain. So it does seem that she did have, you know, some battles, but that doesn't make, you know, her death okay. Oh, of course not. Just like any other story we cover, you know? According to this document, Anthony Richard later admitted that the two had an altercation and it was reported that Jennifer was slapping him on both sides of his head and ears. Anthony held her away by her neck and he didn't know how hard he was squeezing. When Anthony was holding Jennifer by the neck, she started to slap him harder. Uh, well, yeah, I would imagine she would be. What would you do if someone was, was strangling you, right? You would fight back. So according to this report, the altercation continued for a few moments with Jennifer continued to hit Anthony and Anthony repeatedly pushing her away by placing his hands on her throat. By his account, this altercation ended with Jennifer falling to the kitchen floor after Anthony finally pushed her away. After falling to the floor, Anthony, Anthony reportedly told her to go to the bedroom to which she complied and moments later is when he supposedly heard the gunshot. Both the Richards men, Amos and Anthony, had been charged with numerous domestic violence crimes. However, state prosecutors repeatedly allowed the men to plead to lesser crimes to avoid felony convictions. And Amos isn't relevant right now, but he will be. The majority of these crimes were reported to take place on the Richards property. So think about that. Numerous crimes from numerous people were reported to the police and investigated on this same property. This included a previous sexual assault charge against Anthony Richards, where his bail originally was set as $7,500, but then reduced to $2,500 despite the victim pleading with the court to set bail at a higher amount due to her fear of running into Anthony in the small town of only 2,900 people. According to the article written by the Anchorage Daily News, although a Kutsube grand jury indicted him on felony charges of sexual assault and attempted sexual assault, Anthony Richards eventually pled guilty to a single misdemeanor count of indecent exposure in the 2014 case. This deal allowed him to avoid registering as a sex offender. And he was just allowed to walk. Mm-hmm. A misdemeanor. This doesn't make any sense. Think about that history and what, you know, how violent this person clearly is. And we've talked about this before, but strangulation is one of the most dangerous forms of domestic violence as a line between strangulation and you know, making someone unconscious and the line between death is very thin. In 2005, Alaska was one of the first states to create a law around non-fatal strangulation, noting that strangulation is often a precursor to homicide. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that fact until you mentioned it in a previous episode. So I said earlier that he admitted to strangling Jennifer Kirk in the past. In 2015, Jennifer Kirk was seen at a local hospital for assault where she reported that Anthony punched her five times. Oh, my God. He was arrested for this crime. However, days after his arrest, his bail was reduced to just $100. Uh, I think you're missing a few zeros there, Maggie. One zero zero. That's it? Yes. How is that holding anyone accountable? He was able to plead to a lesser crime. Okay, maybe it's just me. You said the, this is a guy 
has run for office. He's in office. His dad. His dad. So he's the okay. That's what I was thinking. So he's the son. He's the son. But they live on the same property as his his mayor dad. And at the time, his dad would have been at this time. His dad would have been mayor. So there's a lot of clout going on here. I don't think it's clout. I oh, what's the word? There's a lot of corruption. It seems corruption. Yes. In 2017, Jennifer Kirk told police that Anthony Richards strangled her until her vision began to fade and she nearly passed out. Anthony was also able to plead to a lesser crime of misdemeanor assault in this case, despite the law change that allowed for a felony charge for non-fatal strangulation. In the same Alaskan Daily News article, there is an audio clip of the magistrate telling Anthony Richards that he was getting away with a felony conviction by taking the plea deal. But in the same breath, the magistrate tells him that, Strangulation is a very serious thing. The natural natural result of a punch or a kick or your kind of typical misdemeanor assault is a bruise or an injury, that sort of thing. The result of strangulation, if it's not stopped, if a person can't breathe, is death. That's so scary. A judge said this and still gave him a plea deal. Well, the judge wanted to keep his job. Allegedly. Um, yeah, I mean, you you could. There's a lot of corruption happening. So this article goes on to speculate even more inconsistencies in this case, including that Jennifer Kirk died of a gunshot wound from a long rifle shotgun, which was noted to be 27 and 1 8 inches from the tip of the barrel to the trigger, and that Jennifer Kirk's arm length was only 26 and 3 8 inches. Doesn't quite seem feasible, does it? A discrepancy that many investigators may look into to question a suicide death. But family members reported that not only were none of them ever interviewed in regards to her death, but this discrepancy regarding the gun was never investigated and a search warrant was never executed to obtain any additional evidence. Wow. This is just messed up. What exactly did they do? Well, and this is why I was really surprised that I had never heard about this because this story is crazy and it's full of corruption. Well, it makes me wonder how much actual underreporting is going on in this area if people are seeing perpetrators kind of skirt through the system and have no consequences for the things they're doing who's going to speak up who's going to say this happened to me when you're watching it play out in front of you that people aren't being held accountable so i had a hard time well, when I first researched the story, I thought they only had two sons, but they actually have three. And my story really only includes information about two, but apparently the third son also had a history of domestic violence. So this entire family is just a family of, per- like, a family of... Dysfunction? No, it's like perpetrate abusers. It's a family of abusers, clearly. Yeah, and, you know, like R said, that a completely dysfunctional one at that, but it it's bizarre, So Alaska has the third highest suicide rate in the nation, and the numbers are especially high in the Northwest Arctic. And I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys have, but, you know, if you watch any documentaries or stuff, that's like a common theme is like people in Alaska have a hard time because there's through certain months of the year, there's no sunlight. So suicide is really high among Alaskan natives and people who live in Alaska because of that fact. Many family members who have questioned their loved one's death that reside in this area are often told by law enforcement officials that families might have trouble accepting that a loved one committed suicide or died by accident, assuming that many families are looking for alternative explanations in an open and shut case. We've learned early on doing this podcast that these cases are never open and closed. There's always these extenuating circumstances and factors that 
authorities repeatedly fail to look into or bother to look into, and I don't understand it. Like, they're never just open and shut, especially when there's concerning circumstances, you know? Like, it's completely different when someone writes a note, has been depressed, you know, has tried different depression medications, and then commits suicide. But it's it's completely off-putting when it's someone who shows no history of that. So despite the clear violent history of abuse and numerous discrepancies, no one has ever been charged in the death of Jennifer Kirk. And after just one day of investigation, her case remains listed as a suicide. Oh, my God. One day? They only were at the crime scene for one day. They did not go back. I mean, how long are typical investigations supposed to be? It's not an investigation because it's a suicide. Oh, geez. They, they wouldn't investigate anything. But what's crazy is they made the suicide declaration for her case before her autopsy even came back. But what stinks is her autopsy did corroborate and say that the cause of death was suicide. This whole story is just bananas. Jennifer's family did report that they spoke to her just hours before her death, and they noted that nothing seemed unusual and that they did not believe Jennifer to be someone who was suicidal. They report her mom said something about them two making plans about trading cultural dishes and meeting up after this or after in a few days. So she was making plans in the future, which most of the time in a case that someone doesn't have a plan to kill themselves. So very, very concerning. I agree. This story makes me mad because it's obvious what they say happened didn't happen. There's no way. Well, what allegedly happened? Well, and when you don't give a case like this the proper attention when it needs it, like when it happens, by the time you go back, evidence won't be there. And that's a common a common complaint that this family has is that, you know, if they had taken if they had gotten a search warrant of that home and actually looked into it a little bit more, then maybe they could have found evidence that she did not shoot herself and that she did not commit suicide. But because they just made it an open shut case of suicide, all of that stuff's gone now. I cannot imagine what her family is going through. So Jennifer left behind three children and was only 25 at the time of her death. But if you remember, in the beginning of the story, I said we were going to talk about two women. Oh, that's right. Just two years later, in March of 2020, when Susanna Susu Norton was found dead in the house on the Richards property. At the time of her death, she was dating the ex-mayor's son, Amos Richards. Oh my God, I... I have no words, Maggie. You are right. I am pissed. I hope there's a better outcome in her case. I hope there's a different outcome. I sincerely hope so. We'll be back for part two. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.